This is Fam Electric Ghost, and we're live on the air with Ellen Bush. Uh, thank you for your welcome to, uh, to the Fam Electric Ghost podcast. How are you doing tonight? I am great, and I'm so excited to be here and to talk with you. It's, yeah, it's always cool to talk to people from around the world. We've been doing it since 2016. We're actually at, with this episode, episode 1040, which is like 1040. Uh, since 2016, tracking wow. out an Apple podcast. So we're, we're glad to still be out here. And we want to let people know that we do have your website, ellenbush.com. People can click on that and actually get to that when we're published on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and all the other places that we're going to be on uh, the web uh, later today. And so you'll be able to click through that. If people contact you on there, because that how they get to your um, to your books and how to contact you? Yes, they can contact me through the website. My email is info at ellenbush.com. And you'll see a contact button on the website, as well as uh, you can find the book itself on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. uh, Facebook awesome. under Ellen Bush, and then also um, Instagram. And it's Ellen Bush 1500. So I'm um, pretty easy to find and being, you know, a redhead, it's pretty easy to match up my picture with my name. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, this episode we're going to talk about um, how I turned an academic death sentence in my life's greatest adventure. Um, so, we love to tell people stories and uh, we like to get in, you know, to the root, root of the heart of the person. But, like, um, one thing we always ask you people is, like, what motivates you? Like, why do you do mm -hmm. what you do? Sure. Well, I wrote this book um, because I feel a tremendous sense of responsibility. I have overcome incredible challenges and losses. And I not only survived, but I learned to thrive again. And what I've learned is really valuable. And that's really important. And it's my hero's journey. And I don't know if you're familiar with the hero's journey concept, but the last piece of the hero's journey is the warrior or the adventurer brings what they've learned home to their tribe. Mm, yeah. And they, like, they share what they've learned. Yeah. The key lessons they can take away from, from what you've done. Like, so that kind of points out, I've always liked to ask people like, you know, maybe it's too early, but what are the key lessons people should take away from you kind of at the beginning and then we can dive into it. What that means. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think the biggest thing is that um, you can go through tremendous trauma, loss, um, and you can heal. You can recover. And you can learn to thrive and fall in love with life all over again. That's the good news. The bad news is it's a lot of hard work. Nothing's, and it's a lot that's worth anything is, is easy. Exactly. <laughs> <But I> always <laughs> find that, you know, people think that successful people always have it easy. They think it somehow just happens. Oh, gosh. And it never has been, you know, maybe people want to portray it that way, that it was easy, but a lot of times, you know, it's never that simple. And so maybe you can talk about like what it means to be the, the, the dyslexic 
from you know some people might not fully understand so maybe you can kind of give people that that um sure. that definition from somebody that you know experiences sure so you know it's interesting the whole perception of dyslexia has changed over the years and that's a big piece of my story um it is considered a learning disability and it is protected under the americans you know the americans with disabilities act disability act so if a child or adult is diagnosed as dyslexic, they fall into that category of being legally handicapped. Now that is a double-edged sword because that does afford children, you know, accommodations, legal status and accommodations that are needed in the classroom as they move through the education system. The negative side of that is that it it's, it's a handicap or it's perceived as a handicap. Um, mm -hmm. And, and so this is a class, classification it, that causes social problems, right? Exactly. So the way that I like to describe it is that it's considered or perceived as an intellectual disability. Yeah, that's totally wrong. <laughs> and, yeah. And that's, you, it couldn't be farther from the truth. We just learned very differently. And we yeah. do not learn like other students and we need those accommodations and we need that extra time. Um, and what a lot of people don't realize is Einstein was dyslexic. There's a lot of people who had so-called learning disabilities. They just mm -hmm. think in a different way and thinking in a different way exactly. can be an advantage. Like in, in his case, I think that's how we was able to see those physics exactly issues like those exactly. concepts because sometimes it's the out of the box person everybody mm -hmm. wants to be in the box but it's really <laughs> the out of the box people who go to the bleeding edge that have a different capability Hendrix was left-handed because he was left-handed he strung his guitar differently mm -hmm. he approached the guitar differently yeah. if he was like everybody else he probably wouldn't have played that way so there's a lot right. of things that people have they, somebody could say being left-handed is a problem. And, mm -hmm. and I think they did. And so there, there's, there's a lot of things that we try to put people in boxes. And I, you know, I totally agree. It's like, it doesn't measure your capability. Exactly. You just do something different. You learn different. You approach mm -hmm. things differently. And maybe that difference society needs. I agree with you hundred percent, you know, and I don't think anybody would consider Einstein as having an intellectual disability. <laughs> It just doesn't yeah. fit. Um, you know, it, it's so interesting because it's, you know, it's about the perception and how perception changes over time. And as we learn about the brain and human development and child development, um, you know, and you mentioned the idea that people at one time thought that being left-handed was a bad thing. And my father was actually left-handed and he was born in 1938. He's passed away now, but he was forced to be right-handed. Yeah. Yeah. When he, yeah. So again, it's a, it's a perception. It's not the reality, you know, as children, we certainly struggle because the classroom is not built for us. And mm -hmm. generally speaking, you know, I want to make sure I answer your question thoroughly is that generally speaking, dyslexia is associated with a reading disorder or a reading comprehension mm -hmm. disorder, or letter reversal, or number reversal. Um, that is certainly true, and that's certainly something that I struggled with. But the issue for me was that I was condemned. So mm -hmm. 
I went through the school system in the mid 70s. You know, I started elementary school in the mid 70s and then on to the 80s. And my parents were actually sat down in a parent teacher conference and they were told that I might graduate from high school, but college was out of the question and I would not be contributing to society, that they should focus on finding me a husband to take care of me. I mean, it was really, it was a condemnation. And that parent... Yeah, there's there's not a lot of gray there. Um, That parent-teacher conference ended with my mother pounding her fist on the desk saying, I refuse to allow you to condemn my daughter. Yeah, I think that's the problem that a lot of kids were put in those boxes with Mm -hmm. all kinds of issues that really just needed the teachers to be more understanding, more empathetic, Mm -hmm. and not trying to just put everybody, you know, in the same bell curve. You know, exactly. that whole idea that bell curve is like, just because you're not in the middle doesn't mean you can't contribute. The people on the edges tend to have a lot of capability. And just because they don't fit, you know, corporate America does the same thing. Mm-hmm. They want people to be in, in, in the queue, but then they want a creative. What the nice. creative isn't the person that wants to be in the cube. The creative person doesn't want to be in the cube. The creative person doesn't want to follow that rule. Most mm-hmm. of the time, they, they usually aren't going to follow the rule. They're going to be on the edge. And right. then you don't know how to measure them because the performance review doesn't measure them correctly. Your mm-hmm. analysis doesn't measure them correctly. The test might not measure them correctly, but they could be the best person that you miss. Because exactly. you just don't know how to understand them. Yeah. And it's like what you said earlier about Einstein and being out of the box. And that's really, I think, a great way to describe somebody who is dyslexic. We are out-of-the-box thinkers. We are known for being very creative. We are known for being out-of-the-box thinkers. As a matter of fact, and this is really interesting, um, British Intelligence Services is actively recruiting people who are dyslexic because of their unique skill set to see patterns that other people yeah, miss. code breakers, code breakers, exactly. right? They can yeah. actually see, see the, they can see it in a way that a traditional person doesn't see it. Exactly. You know, now, and it was interesting. They used Native Americans because they had they they were able to like Cherokee and stuff. They were able to see things in different ways that regular you know other people there's no English couldn't see it. You know. But. Exactly. Yeah, and then um, NASA, NASA of all places, the rocket scientists. They actively recruit people who are dyslexic because of their unique visual spatial skills. Oh. So clearly. Yeah, they want those... to see the patterns too, right? They want patterns, yeah. right? pattern recognition. It, yeah. It's also, it's a, another way to describe it or another skill set of being dyslexic is we have incredible visual spatial skills. So hence the NASA example. So we can picture the rocket in our heads and we could rotate it. We can take like it apart. A 3D model. Or you can, yes. you can dive into it in a way yep. that another mind doesn't see. It's kind of like we're born with CAD software. Yeah, that, well, that's super helpful. Like I'm it, in software engineering. I can get, I can see that that's very useful. It's a very useful skill. So you know, it, it, it's, a, it's such a range because we struggle as children learning to read, but yet we have this incredible skill set that now certain organizations are starting to 
realize that this is really valuable and we yeah, want reading those in the traditional way isn't necessarily everything you do exactly like you know everything you do in 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 the kind of scientific world not reading isn't everything like like that spatial being able to do that cad cam mm -hmm. picture in your mind that's yep. super useful like the way you know einstein was able to figure out those formulas mm -hmm. you know that people couldn't see because I think that, that from what you're telling me, that have I had a key effect on the way he was able to look at the physics equations and algorithms. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. Um, there's a great book out there. Um, it's I think it's called In the Mind's Eye. And they look back at a lot of historical figures who were dyslexic. And they dive into Einstein and a lot of his papers. And in his papers, he talks about visually playing with these ideas, which is exactly what we were just talking about with the NASA rocket example. Mm -hmm. So he had that skill set. He wasn't necessarily reading and studying. Yeah, and it up. He was playing with these ideas in 3D in real time in his mind. And that's where a lot of his without creative a computer. thinking so that's probably... Without a computer. Yeah, yeah without a computer. Did. Yeah, he's able to get to something that a computer age person could get to. And I probably put him ahead yeah. of the curve because he was able to kind of, oh, if I can turn this inside out, I can look at it. Then I can actually mm -hmm. see something that you're going to miss. Because if you can see that exactly. more holistic vision, you're not, you're, mm -hmm. you're seeing the whole picture versus yes. like a narrow plane. If you're only seeing like 2D, mm -hmm. there's 3D. Instead of seeing the full spatial impact that you can kind of, you know, uh, assume it's like, wow, there's things you're going to see. Mm -hmm. There's like calculations that you couldn't have thought of because you, you weren't in that frame. If mm -hmm. you're not in that frame, you're not going to see it. You're not going to see it. And we also are very good at seeing within those great big visualization pictures. We're very good at seeing patterns. Mm -hmm. patterns that that keep repeating and that's another great tool that that code, that code, dyslexics like code, computer um, code is all patterns you know like yeah good at coding too right yes and it's and it's also but it's also about um you know patterns in human behavior patterns in um you know in pictures and in nature and very mm. good at seeing cycles, things that cycle through. We see the, that that because a cycle is a pattern. Yeah, well, so that's we like can... scientific analysis, right? So mm -hmm. if you if you're a scientist and you're trying to come up with a theorem, you're trying to come up with you know you're going to be able to analyze the data in a mm -hmm. way that another person can't. Exactly, exactly. So it really is a gift, but we just don't fit into the education system. And unfortunately for me, when I went through the system, despite going to a and living in an affluent community, um, mm -hmm. despite going to a great school system, I was condemned and my self-esteem and my self-worth were destroyed. My potential was taken away from me. I mean, when you tell a, the parents of a six-year-old she's never going to college, yeah, that's taking away a child's potential. And for me, I'm so fortunate because I had amazing parents who I'm sorry are both passed away at this point, but they stood up for me and they 
fought. Mm -hmm. They fought for me. And you know what? They were wrong because not only did I go on to college and get a bachelor's degree, but I also got a master's. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the fight that a lot of people, you know, people might not have a disability, but they might be put into a class mm-hmm. where they feel like I grew up, I'm a child of the seventies. I grew up outside of Boston. I, there were people that felt like I shouldn't be there. <laughs> and so, I know how you feel. Like, my parents had to fight in the same way you fought. And I went to college. And yeah. I mean, we had counselors that said that I shouldn't go to college, not for any good reason. But, and so I was able to get there because I had parents that would show up at the teacher meeting and push to yeah. get me into AP, get me into those things. So like, it is hard because you can get labeled and you, people get labeled. It's terrible how the labeling happens, but it's like, yeah. it's, it's not fair to any person, you know, that's a human being to get labeled without judging you for what you can really do. And and I think that right. now you mentioned like NASA and people actually seeing that the capabilities of people mm-hmm. with dyslexia, but the education system, are they catching up with these com- with like what NASA and the military and other people have figured out? Um, in some ways, I think there's definitely progress that's been made, um, but we still have this stigma of we're legally handicapped. You know, we're legally still under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Yeah, so that's the label. Um, and it's the label. And, and, and it's such a double-edged sword because, you know, in one way we need those protections. But on the other side of that coin, it's that yeah, label. Is, <laughs> it's so detrimental. It's limiting. Limiting, right? So the, it's very the limiting. mindset of the people in the majority when they see that label, they automatically mm-hmm. attach a handicap. They automatically attach that you it's like mental capability, like you were saying at the beginning. Exactly. Just because you're under American Disability Act doesn't mean you don't have intellectual capability. And I don't know why exactly. the conversation hasn't happened to kind mm-hmm. of teach people in in the in the majority. That like, okay, we need to protect the class of people, but doesn't mean that they're not capable. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like, how do you thread the needle to get people to like, oh, well, that's, they just want to think one way. And it, it, like, it's always like, it's never that easy. Well, some people want to make it that easy because they want to stay within the paradigm. But, right. you know, so how do you push against the paradigm? <laughs> it's tough. It's really tough. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote this book is because, you know, one of the things I've learned and I bring back to my tribe is that it, it, I, there isn't an intellectual disability. And if your self-esteem has been hurt by this label or your self-worth or your potential has been taken away, like what happened to me, you can heal from that. Mm-hmm like a limiting belief that's not true it's it's like it's not a truth it's a belief it's not the truth and so it's false yeah so that's a hard thing because some people can they don't they have a disability but they can get hit with limiting mm-hmm. beliefs that actually hinder their progress yes and one of the sources that i cite is a term called learned helplessness and it's a psychological term and I'm not an expert on it, and I will defer to the experts. Um, but I do touch on this in my book, mm-hmm. and this is something that I think you're you're kind of alluding to, 
is when you tell a child that they're broken and they're brain damaged and they're dyslexic, at some point they're going to respond to the world as if they are because they keep getting that message. Mm -hmm. So you're teaching yeah. them that. You're teaching them to limit themselves and mm -hmm. their possibilities. Because anyway, you know, if you get, you know, society has social mores. I was a sociology, you know, major in college. Ah. And people get into these, you know, mores. They get into these, these like societal norms. Mm -hmm. The societal norm wants everybody to be in that bell curve. And when yes. you're outside of it, they want to say, oh, you're the other. You're the other. You're the, you're right. the problem. And right. So, and you're they want the to problem. Yeah. <laughs> the if, if you're lucky, you get to be in like the Einstein genius category. But if you're on the other end of that bell curve, you're, it's like you said, you're a problem. So, yeah, and there's not a lot of yes. wiggle room in there. So, yeah, they just want to, you know, put blame on it, make you feel like you're faded, that you're, mm -hmm. you know, and designed to fail. And it's like, that's not a good, good place to be nope. with a youthful mind or any kind of mind until yep. you can break through the, the crucible moment when you realize you can take the reins and mm -hmm. you can first like realize you're not limited. Yeah. And even if people think you are, they, once you realize you're not, then you, you that's the key. Yes. Because then you can start pushing. Mm -hmm. And regardless of like you lose friends or you lose people that didn't want, don't like you when you push. Oh, yes. Because there's a, there's a group of people that will like you. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't really mm -hmm. matter about the people right. that fall off versus the people where you need to go. <laughs> I think you're a hundred percent right. And that has been my experience. Yeah, that's that's a hard so. thing. Some people get scared about losing, you know, yeah, but if you're in a codependency, like maybe you need to lose that. Yeah. Well yeah, that, that's that, not really helpful. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's what ended up happening to me is you know, my low self-esteem and low self-worth made me very vulnerable to predators. And fast forward 20 years, and when I get married, surprise, surprise, I end up married to a narcissist. Oh, yeah, it's not yeah. good. Not good. Um, we had one incident of violence, and we had, I had six years of narcissistic psychological abuse. I had to plan and execute my escape. And I did so, and I, I got out safely, obviously, but not everybody does. And yeah, it's a hard thing. It's, it's tough. And I think that low self-esteem, low self-worth makes you vulnerable to the predators, no matter what the cause, you know, in my situation, the cause was the dyslexic label and everything we've just been, you know, talking about, I had the great parents. So it wasn't like I came from a family where there was abuse because that was not the case. But when you mm -hmm. have low self-esteem and low self-worth, the predators are looking for you. They really are. Yeah. And you, you had your, you had your degree, right? I mean, you, mm -hmm. you, but you still had, it doesn't exactly. matter. Like you can have a lot of capability. I run into people that are yep. very capable, but mm -hmm. they're subject to predators because they don't believe in themselves. Like you could have somebody exactly. that you see on stage and they look real confident, but they really got a lot of self-loathing. 
and, exactly. and even though they're on that stage and they're presenting this other version of themselves, they still don't feel that way. They, they, mm -hmm. what they present is not what they feel. It's like a mask. Exactly. And then mm -hmm. they, it's like, oh, well, they couldn't believe that they actually got conned or they got put into this or they got, they're with yeah. this person. Like, why? They have this yeah. capability, but they don't believe it. It's like, that's all. In it. It's like the mindset is very powerful. It's very powerful. And I've heard you talk about mindset in, in some of your other podcasts. And it's so interesting because in my case, the belief that I wasn't worthy, that I was brain damaged and I was broken was so ingrained that I wasn't even conscious of it. So here I am with a bachelor's mm -hmm. and a master's degree and an articulate, capable woman. And I had low self-esteem and didn't even realize that it was plaguing me. And it was after that I got out and realized I was completely traumatized and needed help and needed to get to work on myself, that that's when I began to shed that label. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you have to was, it, when you hit something dead on, mm -hmm. it hurts, right? Cause it's hard, you know, cause it you hurts. might, even though you were in something, you were in a pattern, right? And the pattern mm -hmm. might be comfortable to be in the pattern, even though it hurts. It's something it's like hard to, get out of a pattern, right? It takes a lot of work, right? It does, you know, and I knew I was in this pattern and I knew that if I didn't break out of it, I might not survive the next time because mm -hmm. I, I was lucky to get out alive. And, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that I have learned is that 70% of women and men, this isn't just about women, who are in an abusive, intimate partner relationship, 70% of them are killed when they try and leave. Yeah, it's very bad. I mean, it's, it's, it, you can see the numbers with, um, if you check, you know, the criminology of it, and, mm -hmm. and you start doing the analysis and people say, well, what's the pattern here? Yes. And they're seeing the pattern with the domestic violence. It's like it's the person mm -hmm. that you know that kills you more than serial killer. Everybody's always looking for the serial killer. The yep. person that usually kills you is your partner. Yeah. Is your husband. Is there is somebody that's close to you? Exactly. That's the person that does it. But everybody's mm -hmm. looking for the boogeyman. They're looking for they're looking for the like, you know, the the you know, whatever the, the, some kind of Scorpio killer or like you know, they're always looking at yeah, and there are people yeah. who do that. But that's not the that's not the common situation we just right we just talked about. Yeah, sometimes they need to look right next to them. Yeah. I think that's harder for society because sometimes those people they're in positions, mm -hmm. they're in the chamber of commerce, they're some executive, they're a businessman, everybody knows them, they're in the church, mm -hmm. everybody knows them. They can't possibly be that person, right? But then you have to deal with the heat. Then mm -hmm. if you challenge it, right, everybody yeah. thinks they're good. Yeah. Everybody thinks they're great. You know, and it's so interesting that you mentioned that because, you know, the church piece of it. My ex-husband used to take his father to church all the time, and this was part of his mask. And it's very mm. classic for the covert narcissist. And what I figured out after the fact is that he didn't go to church to worship with his father. He went to church <laughs> because of how it looked. It's a cover. Yeah, it's like a cover. Cover yep. story, yep. like James Bond. 
You, yes. you got to have a cover. <laughs> he wanted to look good in front of the community and society. And that was one way to do it. Yeah. My grandpa used to say, like, if you have to profess that you're good all the time, then I would kind of, sus that kind of suspect. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of suspect. Cause like, if you're good, you're good. You don't exactly. have to show that you're good. You don't have to kind of display. You're good. Like it is, it is innately. That's what it is. Right. If you have to put on too much of a show, you're like, mm, too much show, no go. Right. <laughs> it's not real. Yeah. 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 So. But, but what did it take to persevere? I mean, like, yeah. how did you get the, 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 the kind of energy or the focus to, to realize? Yeah. That? You know, I, I saw the pattern. And I realized if I didn't break the pattern, like I said, I, my life would be in danger. And for me, what was at stake was my life. So I was willing to do or go emotionally wherever I needed to go. And mm -hmm. I first started to work on the trauma piece of it. I was so traumatized. I was driving through stop signs and red lights. Mm -hmm. I could so you're, barely. So you're in your head so much exactly. more recognizing what was going on in reality. Yeah. I was kind of disassociated from my body as well as, like you said, reality. And I went to work with therapists and coaches. Um, I have done about five and a half years of intense EMDR work. I don't know if people are familiar, if you're, if people are, fo folks are familiar with it. I think we talked about it, but you want to bring it to the table again to tell people what it means. Yeah. So I don't remember exactly what EMDR stands for, but it is specific to trauma and it uses rapid eye movement with a certified, licensed, credentialed therapist. Only work with, you know, people with real credentials, please, you know. I say this over and over again. This is my mantra. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, in real estate, it's location, location, location with therapists yeah, and coaches. It's credentials, yeah. credentials, credentials. And it helps you to basically rewire the brain. And oh, it's a re remapping. It remaps or rewires the brain and breaks the trauma cycle. Mm -hmm. um, and it has been tremendously effective for me and life changing. Wow, so Absolutely. that was a real like action that you took that had yes. like like a real meaningful plan. Yes. It had decisive like actions mm -hmm. that had results. Yes, it was step by step therapy session after therapy session. The other thing I did too is I've worked with um several different life coaches again with really great credentials and what a lot of people don't realize is that therapy is usually about looking backwards. Coaching is about mm. looking forwards and what do you want yeah, to create in your, in your future. And that has been a game changer for me and has helped me to thrive. And you asked what helps me to persevere. And when you do this kind of hard work, you get rewards it gets better. You feel better. When you start to recover from trauma, you start to feel better. And it starts to take on a momentum of its own, or at least this has been my experience. 
And it's a momentum that is a positive momentum, kind of like getting that snowball to roll down the hill. Yeah. And things get better and you heal and you learn and you grow and you heal again and you learn and you grow. And it's yeah, just exponential. Becomes, Once you start going on the, yeah. On the test, yeah. Yeah. That, it, the, the, on, the, on a kind of positivity path, right? Like if you go to a negative path, you might just focus on the past without exactly trying to resolve the present or the future. <laughs> you know, and, and to your point, exactly, if you're constantly looking into the past and you're not healing, you know, I think this is where a lot of people get stuck. And, okay, so you survived. You survived a tragedy. You survived something really, really awful, major loss. Now what? How do you learn to thrive? And you have to take those steps and be willing to push on your own boundaries and to really go after what you really want in order to really learn to thrive because surviving is great. Mm. You know, that's really important. That's the first step. That's you don't have anything without that survival. Yeah. It's a basic like first step is to you know maintain survival. Exactly. <laughs> you know, then, then, then start to flourish and have fun, you know, to actually exactly. feel good, you know. Exactly, exactly. And what I've learned and where I am now, and I still work with a therapist and I work with coaches, is that it has, there's still healing going on and I'm still uncovering, you know, those seeds that were planted in elementary school and still digging them up and disposing of them. But it's really become a journey of self-discovery. Mm-hmm. And growth. And that's where it gets really exciting. And you get to take steps and do things that you never would have considered doing before. You know, one of the things I write about in the latter half of the book is I've done um, quite a bit of training with um, retired Navy SEALs. Mm-hmm. And that has been where I have really learned to thrive. Those coaches are amazing, but they're also the best in the world at what they do. <laughs> so um, I have done yeah, much extreme capability. Yeah, they're they're amazing, and I've done martial arts training. I've even done some firearms training, um, mindset training, yoga, breath work. Um, with these retired seals and it's been that's where i have really stepped up and moved into the space of just thriving and exploring my own capabilities yeah it's always hard you know sometimes you got to push and when you push you do things that you never did before or mm-hmm. not comfortable you're not going to be the best right so right sometimes some people just want to stay on something they you know, okay i'm going to stay in the factory doing this one task because that's what I know. Mm-hmm, right. mm-hmm. And uh, that satisfies me. It buys my boat, buys pays my mortgage. It's fine. But did you have a dream that you wanted to go, you know, beyond Broadway? You wanted to paint. You wanted yeah. to people tell you that was foo-foo. That was like, you can't do that. You know, and so you, you do something that kind of barely gets by just because it's like, it's it's not, you don't challenge yourself. 
Yeah, you know, it's, I don't think for me, you know, nobody's ever asked me that question. That's such a great question. Um, I didn't have a specific dream other than writing the book and moving to Colorado and spending all winter skiing. <laughs> That's a oh, yeah, you, you had a plan to do that. You wanted yeah, to do that. Yeah, exactly. That was my plan. But, you know, it's so interesting because all of my life, you know, growing up or, or moving through the education system, I should say, I always heard, of, you're not good enough. You're not capable. You're never going to be able to do that. And just every version of that. So I, I got mm. into this habit of just kind of smashing that idea, you know, first with a bachelor's degree, then with a master's degree, you know, now I've written this book and I've always had this very adventurous personality. Um, I took a, I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of the archetypes and I yeah, took I a person. Yeah. Yeah. I took a personality test in one of the, I came up as the explorer archetype. So I just naturally oh. <laughs> have a very curious nature and I'm always out there wanting to learn the next thing and exploring this and exploring that. Um, I've got certified to scuba dive when I was 17. Um, my father really saw the explorer it's archetype. Great. Like you go out there. You really, yeah. Yeah, you really want to go out there. You go scuba diving. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's so funny because, like I was saying, my dad really saw that explorer archetype in me at a very young age. And he knew that that could be a tool to teach me how to persevere. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, well, if you get you into know, something like that, then you're going to mm -hmm. learn discipline like in order to be a diver you got to have discipline to be able to do it right so you don't exactly yourself. So, exactly so if you start putting you want to go skiing you gotta learn it it's kind of mm -hmm. dangerous it could be dangerous yeah, yeah. I, I do downhill mountain biking i mean that's dangerous I, but yes I, it I is like it. <laughs> but but i like to do it but i had you have to have a certain level of skill to be able to to go down mm -hmm. a vermont mountain like you can't just do it it's like, well, I don't need any training. I don't need a back. Like, we kind of got to, you got to have a certain level of discipline. Exactly. And, uh, you got to be willing to, to engage fear. Like, you're, if you have a fear of heights, well, I don't know if you should be doing that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> exactly. But, so, it's like, like, how do you get over it? Like, like initially, mm -hmm. when I first first hit the mountain, he's like, whoa, 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 I don't know if I should go down this cliff. <laughs> right. But, but right. Like, at some point, if you're going to do that, mm -hmm. you do it. Like the more you get into it and you get the training, but you yeah. have that adventurous kind of personality that, that the first step might be hard. It, it is. Trepidation, right. You have trepidation, but that doesn't mean you can't do it. Right. You know, I was, I was, I was scared when I did my first checkout dives and, you know, when I was 15, my dad sent me on outward bound. We did two weeks, whitewater rafting, hiking, climbing and rappelling in Utah. And that was scary. I was terrified to repel yeah, like, a hundred foot cliff. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Scary. <laughs> it's very scary. But, you know, but I always wanted to do these kinds of things. And my dad always said to me, he said, Ellen, you can do whatever you want, but get properly trained. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. You can't be reckless. Like, like, mm -hmm. like somebody was like, well, 
Oh, you're, you're, you're adventuring, but if you're adventuring with like a reckless abandon, yeah, well, you, you might, you might end up not here, you know? So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you, you get it's like, it's some, some level of risk. Mm-hmm. But I like that the 120% risk, you know, like, <laughs> exactly. You know, you, you might have 10% risk, but like, if you give yourself 150% risk, well, maybe you're doing it a little too much. <laughs> exactly. You know, I like to look at it as um, being properly trained is risk mitigation. And I get out there and I enjoy so many different things, you know, hiking, the skiing, rock climbing, rappelling. And I do these kinds of things with friends, but I choose very carefully who I'm out there with also, you know, you choose your scuba diving buddies very carefully, (laughs) you know, are they trained? Are they reliable? Are they disciplined? You know, are they going to be able to help you if you're really in a pickle? Are they going to be able to save your life? So there's a lot to think about there. And by, I think by starting and doing those things at a very young age. Yeah. You know, I started doing those things at such a young age because that's how my dad trained me. He was training me. And Mm -hmm. when when it came time for me to survive and recover and learn to thrive again, I started to apply those things into my life again. Yeah. That's a, that's a cool thing your dad did because um, those kind of skills gave you like another option. Mm-hmm. Because if, if you, if you, sometimes the people like when you have like disabilities, the people try to put you like in a, you know, they put you in a blanket to try to like, protect you. Yeah. And then they're, like, they're so scared that you're going to get hurt. They won't let you do anything. Right. So right. it's like, so then if you get people who are totally overprotective, then it's going to be even worse because mm-hmm. you don't have options and you're going to feel like you can't do anything. Right. And versus like having this cool that your father had is like, well, what, yeah, I'm not going to stop her from diving. I'm not going to stop her from doing this. And why not? That's another way. That's another path. Exactly. You know, and he used to purposely give, give me really hard chores. And again, it's, you know, comes back to what you were saying about the discipline and hard work. And, you know, one of my chores was we used to heat a lot with firewood and I had to stack cords and cords Mm -hmm. and cords of firewood. And it was, I was like seven or eight years old, you know, and he made me do it and I'd complain about it. And I'd say, dad, this is really hard. And he'd look at me and he'd say, it's good for you. Put hair on your chest. Yeah. <laughs> well, it gives you, yeah, it's like a, it's a, it's a kind of weight training. You know, you, mm-hmm. you're, you're doing something that you're going to build up some muscle tone. You're getting some rigor. You're getting some discipline realizing yeah. that you need to do a task. There's a reason for the task. And, yeah. you know, sometimes people today maybe don't realize they knew you do need to give young folks tasks. That might be a little difficult. And everything, everybody can't just win, win, you know. Right. Win, win, win all the time. Right. Isn't really teaching you anything. Like no. if you if you don't learn how to lose gracefully and mm-hmm. have a lesson learned, yep. and you're artificially being told that you, everything you do is perfect. Right. How are you ever going to progress? Right. Right. You know, and it was so funny because I used to complain about these chores. Of course, I did. I was eight. <laughs> And he'd say to me over and over again, it's good for you. Put hair on your chest. And I'd say, but daddy, 
I'm a girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these are factored. And he'd say, doesn't matter. Go do it anyway. I'd say, okay. And I'd stomp off and go do my chore. <laughs> it's but, cool yeah. that he got you into doing the outdoors things because, like, you know, some people might feel like, well, if they, they try to control mm-hmm. like their, who, who their kids are, and he's like, well, you know, my kid, you know, is not going to mountain bike and that's dangerous. So they won't let their daughter go to the mountain bike. Won't let them do the downhill skate. They were like, well, you can go. Be a ballet dancer. Well, you could hurt your ankle. You could break yeah. something there. But it's like, but you you're kind of not thinking like, why not allow people to do things that maybe you thought only the boys could do, but allow right. everybody to do whatever they feel like doing. Or if they feel like they want to downhill ski or dive or mm-hmm. race car driving or like like why not? Like why yeah. does it have to just be like one thing? It doesn't have to be one thing. You know that mindset. And, you know, and it was, you know, and you and I are pretty close in age. So, you know, in the seventies, you know, in the eighties for girls to be doing those kinds of things was really not that common. Yeah. And, you know, growing up in a New York city suburb, it was kind of, it was looked down upon. Like the other girls would look at me like, you're going to go do what? We're yeah, going. You have yeah. any girlfriends that were going with you? Did you have any girls that would go with you? Um, no, I had a sister and cousins who were pretty active. So I definitely had that piece of it. Um, you know, we were always active out on the ocean and, and on the mm-hmm. beach, you know, as little kids. So, so that, that fit there, but you know, it was, it was more like when I got to middle school and, you know, when girls are really starting to become girly, um, Mm-hmm. You know, that that's when things started to get a little uncomfortable. And I started to realize I was a little bit different. Um, but I, but the, it was okay because I was supported at home. You know, yeah, support's uh, important. it really matters. You know, it was funny because I, my dad asked me if I wanted to get certified to scuba dive. And I was so excited. I nearly jumped out of my own skin. <laughs> I was like, That's really? Cool. I get to do that? He's yes, but we're going to get you properly trained. And, you know, we went, I went and got certified and That's I awesome. was, they have support yeah. like that. Cause like, that's not like typical in the seventies, you know, that's not where the mindset of most dads, at least like, at least what dads I knew in the seventies, they're like, what? <laughs> I agree <laughs> with like, you. Yeah, I agree with you 100% that it wasn't common. Um, You know, but my dad knew that that's what I needed. He knew that I had that, my personality, that was good for me. And in fact, I was still in high school at the time. And, you know, now you will see um, even middle school, you know, 14, 15 year olds getting certified to dive. But yeah, it's a different world now. It's like so many different. Yeah, so many women are into sports that were, like, not allowed when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't allowed. Or it it wasn't socially acceptable. Yeah, it wasn't even thought that, you. oh, they wouldn't even have that team at all. And now you have so many female teams and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, people able to do things that they didn't expect. Um, Yeah, I mean, because, I I mean, when I was doing downhill mountain biking, you know, when I first started doing it, then suddenly there's a there was a lot of you know women that got into it, and we yeah. were like the, all the boys club that we were in. We we're like, wow, 
they're into it, and some of them were kicking our butt. <laughs> 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 and like, they got better moves than we got. So like, like they've been doing it. Like, wow, and like, where are they riding? It's like, well, how come we haven't seen them before? <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, that's great. I tried the the, the mountain biking, and that. Not for me. I'll stick to yeah. my skis and my my flippers. <laughs> yeah, it's a little tricky because you gotta stay on the bike. Yes. Just... <laughs> yeah, so staying on a bike is different than skis. I know the skis part is a different thing. It's um, very different. Yeah, it's just it's just interesting, like that you were able to you know take take this uh, the, your situation and, and 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 thrive like you said at the mm-hmm. beginning, and that that's a real lesson learned. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of people that get hung up because they 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 believe that you know that limiting belief, right? And and they get stuck in it. Yes. And it, society kind of is like designed for that, mm-hmm. like to kind of push out of that as not like the normal pr- course that, that that things are set up for. So you kind of are going against the wind. Yes. Well, you know, I I have to admit I was stuck in that that belief system for a long time. I didn't, you know, I wasn't aware of how powerful it was and how detrimental it was. And it wasn't until I ended up in a life-threatening situation and was completely traumatized that mm-hmm. that's that's how I got out of that because that I had yeah, I yeah, had, had to. Yeah, like situation where you had to fight. It was like a fight, flight, and you chose to fight. Yes. You know? And it's kind of like where people, a lot of times we've talked to people on the podcast, like the, that crucible moment mm-hmm. is kind of like the fight or flight. Like like you're going to make that key decision. You, yep. Like you've been doing this, mm-hmm. didn't work. Now right. you're going to try this, this other mm-hmm. thing, you know, and yeah. And that's the thing that's going to lead to like the positivity mm-hmm. and the positive reinforcement, you know, the law of attraction, you're going to get brought, you know, the people will see you, you know, the way you want them to be seeing you rather than the way they, they want to label you. Mm-hmm. The authentic person. Yeah. It's like vulnerability though. I mean, there's a vulnerability when you start to take it on because you got to, it's a lot of work. It is. And you're not going to go zero to a hundred, right? Like a lot of people, they, today's people are so immediate. Mm-hmm. They want mm-hmm. instant results. Right. Like if I go do this in 10 steps, it should just be done. Well, you're probably going to yeah. need to do that for the rest of your life, right? Yeah. Like, like, there's a lot of steps that are not like temporary mm-hmm. 10 things you do and it's done, right? Sometimes yeah. it's like never done, right? You know, and I think your point is so important, you know, for me from when I escaped to when I finished the book was really a 10 year journey. And there's a lot of people out there who are not going to want to hear that, but that's the truth. It's really been a 10 year journey of healing and learning to thrive. And I had a really interesting experience um, about, it was about a year ago. So when I escaped, I was in Florida and I drove back to New Hampshire. Mm. Um, I took my two dogs and drove back to my parents' house because my parents took me in. Thank God. Um, And I remember I was driving, you know, that 95 corridor. I was driving through 
and I was driving through DC and it was snowing of all things, lightly snowing. It was mm. in the middle of the winter. And I looked over and at one point when you're on 95 going through DC, you can see the Washington Monument. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I remember seeing that and thought, wow, you know, that's really pretty. Just shame I don't have time to stop and see some sights and I gotta, I gotta get moving forward and take care of my life. And then one of the coaches who I worked with is a recently retired um, FBI agent and he's in the DC area. And I flew out from here about a year ago and did some, did 22 hours of physical self-defense training with him. So it's almost exactly wow, 10 cool. years later. Yeah. It, oh my gosh. Yeah. 22 hours and two days of training. Uh, it was physically demanding and it was a phenomenal experience. His name is Dennis Stoika. Very intense. And <laughs> very intense. Um, and he does Krav Magra um, and also, you know, real reality based um, self-defense. And I, you know, with an, a dangerous ex-husband out there, I felt that that was a really smart thing to do. And I was well, driving true. to his, yeah, it just makes sense. Again, another step in learning how to thrive and build self-confidence. And here I was driving up 95, almost exactly 10 years later, and I looked over to the highway and I saw the Washington Monument again. Oh, wow, that's cool. You see it again. <laughs> and it was that, it, it kind of just framed that 10-year journey. And I was like, Different book wow, yeah, the last yeah. time I was here, I had just gotten away from my ex. I had just escaped. And look where I am now. So yeah, that big. Was, Well, yeah, it just shows like the progress. Like when yeah. you're making progress, it can be reflected and you feel that energy. You know, cause yeah. I think a lot of things in life are like energy and frequency and you move toward the things that, that, that actually generate like positivity mm -hmm. and you're drawn toward like the future that you should be. Yes. The future that should be rather than what it could be, mm -hmm. you know, like you try to make, you know, you make it happen. Yes. And a lot of times like you make it happen because you, you put it, put the work in. It's like nothing's going to happen if it stays in here. Like if it stays in there. Right then like you have to act on it. You know, you mm -hmm. can have the best ideas. It's like, but if you don't, you don't execute, where are right. you going to go? Right. You know, and it, it's such a great example of doing the self-defense training. You know, I wanted to make sure that I never was in that situation again of where I was going to be abused. And part of that is learning how to defend myself. But to your point, you know, it's not just about being able to physically defend yourself. It's about the mindset and the self-confidence that comes with training and going through a rigorous, intense training program. You come out the other side a different person. Yeah, yeah that's a big, that's a big effort. Like anybody that yeah. goes through that kind of training. Mm -hmm. The military has training, you know, when it comes to FBI, SEAL, Navy, like yeah. you have the discipline. You know, my brother was like, you know, he's a, he was a Navy corpsman in the Iraq war. And he oh, had wow. that, like, you know, he had to go out on the battlefield and go through a minefield and get people off, you know, out of the battlefield as, wow. as a Navy tech. But it's like that kind of driven expertise. He's a tech. 
he's got to go through the out in the minefield and get the people who are wounded. Yeah. So he's got to have that military expertise and the medical expertise. Yep. That save people's lives and it's a discipline and it's a physical rigor. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just it, it, it's it, like a lot. That, that's just really, you know, it, it really. He always talked about it. it. Gave him a lot of purpose and a lot of, kind of mindset of her, yes. like what you can do and what you can't do. Yeah. Yeah. I came out of that two days of training with Dennis and, and I felt like I could handle the world. Yeah. If you, if you get the tools, mm -hmm. the tools to do the job, it's like there are tools in your, for your head. Exactly. And, and there are tools yeah. that you physically for your hands. Right. And so when you get the synergy of figuring out mm -hmm. like how to make, make all that work. Yep. You know, and some people it's like it's, it's a multiple legs to anything. It's not yeah. just one thing, and that's why people I think make mistakes. They think, "Well, I'm just going to do the diet. I'm just going to do the mindset. I'm just going to do the body." Well, you yeah. got to do like a heart, mind, body, soul, the whole. Yeah, thing. you have to work on all the different parts of yourself. Yeah, and and that's when you get to thrive. That's when it gets really exciting because you learn about yourself too. You learn how tough you are. You learn how much you're willing to push through the uncomfortableness and those boundaries and, and stand up and say, you know what, I am going to complete this training. I am going to go through this. And the other side is rock solid confidence. Yeah. I mean, like, like every time you do something, the way I look at it, like there's happy accidents, not mm -hmm. failures, right? That you, yes. you learn from your, the lessons learned. And right. a lot of people are kind of shamed. Like if you, they're shamed into th you're thinking they have to be perfect. And if they can't be perfect, they don't, don't want to even execute uh, right. you know, the thing. And that's where that's a, a big mistake that really prevents a lot of forward moving progress. Cause then I, you, you never raise your hand. You don't participate. You don't get part, yeah. you don't move forward. Cause you're like so scared of making that mistake. That's part of life, you know, cause you're going to get better. Exactly. You know, and, and I agree with you a hundred percent, you know, and one of the, things that I've learned to do is to just try something as an experiment and to not attach what I think an outcome should be. Like, I don't, I don't mm. know what I'm going to get from this two days of intensive training. I mean, I have an idea of what I'm going to get from it, but I really don't know. And just being open to different possibilities removes any failure. Yeah. Because you yeah. go, you know, you go into that, I, you know, a lot of people call it the childlike mindset. Yeah, Just it's very good. <laughs> try it and see what happens. Yeah, you that's what a lot of people would like grow out of it, but it's actually mm -hmm. very necessary. You know, if you notice a lot of creatives, they seem kind of young at heart mm -hmm. and they could mm -hmm. be older than you expect. And it's like, they still have that childlike kind of glow. They still yes. got that childlike fervor mm -hmm. because that's what, what the whole thing is. You know, like, like that's, and and that's the that's the benefit. Not that you get a million views. Not that you get this X that you got exactly. something. The, the fact that you that you love to do what you're doing, if you love the experience of of trying, mm -hmm. that it's like the, your adventure is like you said, you're an explorer. Yes. So that 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 act of exploring doesn't mean that you're gonna get like X. It's the mm -hmm. act of exploring that's the that's the benefit in itself. The actual thing you're doing. Exactly. You know, one of the things I shared with my publisher is, you know, when if you take the time and the energy to push through a boundary, you're going to get a reward. The catch 
is you don't always know what that reward is going to be. Yeah. <laughs> but there's <laughs> always there's always a reward, but it may not be what you think it's going to be. Yeah, it's unintended so, consequences. Like, you know, you do something, you know, today, you know, you might do a podcast mm -hmm. and it could reach so many people. It could reach like, but the goal necessarily isn't that it got a million views. Right. What if you reach reach a certain person, that person contacts you, gives you an opportunity that might be worth more than a million views. Exactly. And, and that, the person that gave you the opportunity like mm -hmm. you, that is unforeseen because you put the thing out there. Exactly. And my context has always been to be authentic and to help people and telling my story in an authentic, vulnerable way is really the only way that I know how to do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's the, the lesson I try to, you know, convey through the podcast is you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to like go edit and get all the ums out. Right. Go edit and, try and add all this background music and do all this. The, the, the thing that's perfect is the conversation, the human conversation that we have without all the, or, you know, all the extra things. Mm -hmm. The extra things are nice, nice. It's nice, nice to have nice things. But like, like it was the point is the actual discussion. Yeah. And to just be yourself and to realize that your journey is your journey and everybody's journey is unique and it's going to be different. And it doesn't have to look like the neighbor with the perfect picket fence and the perfect lawn and you know, it doesn't have to look like that for it to be outstanding. It's your journey and it's as unique as we are as individuals. Well, I hope everybody clicks on your the link that we have there for, for you, ellenbush.com. It's fully clickable when we're published on all the platforms. We have been live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. And we're going to publish to all the other major platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcast and iHeartRadio. But like whatever platform people want to check out, we're going to have a landing page available for your fan base. And that will be out there and they can choose wherever they want to listen or watch the podcast again. And we do encourage people to check that out. And thank you for being a guest on the Fam Electric Ghost podcast. It was a great discussion. Thank you so much. I've so enjoyed this discussion and it's it's been wonderful. Thank you. <laughs>